Well, good morning. Just came in here on two wheels from the other campus. Uh, I tell you what, I, I I caught the last couple of songs, and I would you would you say thank you to my friends, the Bowers, for leading us today. It is. Uh, it's always nice to have cool friends and talented friends, and, and I appreciate you guys being willing to come over. Thank you very much for that. So in general, uh, today should be like, there should be a whole lot more happy people in this room than last week, because Titans won last week, right? So that, that's a good thing. Vanderbilt didn't lose yesterday. They didn't play. That's just truth. I'm not saying anything. That's just no comment on that. Tennessee finally won a game, huh? That's, that's a good thing. The only people that could maybe be upset are our friends that root for Kentucky because that was, that was a rough loss last night. But you're a basketball school, so football's just gravy anyway, right? Right? You should be okay. So in general, we're happy in here today. I hope you're at a place where you're ready to hear what God has for us from the book of Philippians this morning. I'm excited about it. This has been a great series for us. There are so many great things that we have learned the past several weeks as we have just opened God's Word, looked at Philippians. And I want us to start this morning by recognizing that, that if we want to live lives of eternal significance, if we want to make an impact for the kingdom, then Philippians is a great place for us to look. There's a lot of good meat in there for us to take. It's not easy, but it's a great place for us to look. So let's, let's just kind of review for a couple of seconds about what we've talked about the past few weeks. Uh, we started chapter 2 a couple of weeks ago, and you'll know there in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says this. If then there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy make my joy complete by thinking the same way, and having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And then last week, we jumped down to verse 12, and we heard this, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation among whom you shine like stars in the world. So Paul has given us clear instruction throughout this book on how we are to carry ourselves. And just in that little chunk of scripture we heard don't be selfish. Don't act out of selfish ambition. Easy. Let's just do that, right? Don't be selfish. <laughs> Consider others as more important than yourselves. Don't just worry about your interests, but the interest of others. We'll come back to that today. Work out your own salvation. Or as we learned last week, that means just apply. Take what you know and live it. Don't grumble or complain. Now, you heard that last week, and I'm sure... By Monday morning, you hadn't complained at all, right? If you're like me. No, about 7 o'clock Monday when that alarm went off, I went to grumbling and complaining. But here's the truth. Nobody wants to be around a complainer. Instead, we're called to let our faith shine like stars in the world. So I love that passage that we, or those little chunks of scripture that we've studied the past couple of weeks. And that sets us up 
for today, where we're going to be. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I want to ask you to stand as we read our passage today. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need. Since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick, Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him, so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy, and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. You can be seated. So this is, it's kind of Paul's itinerary. He's telling us what he wants to do, how he plans to do it. And honestly, on its face, if you look at it, in fact, when Justin gave me this passage a couple months ago, I got excited because I was like, well, cool, I'm going to get to preach again. I get to do it about five times a year, and the rest of the time I'm leading worship. But I looked at this passage, and I was like, he did it. I have no idea what we're going to talk about. You know, <laughs> this is an itinerary. I, you know, he's sending two guys. So what, what are we going to talk about? Well, luckily for you and for me, there's a lot more in this passage than just that. Paul's been calling us to humility and sacrifice, and now what he does is he stops, and he gives us two examples of guys that are living humility and sacrifice, and that is Timothy and Epaphroditus. So through the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul shows us that our lives should be lives of risk-taking, sacrificing, and humble submission for the work of Christ. So a question to prime the pump this morning. Have I thought deeply about the implications of my faith on my life? I'll say it again. Have I thought deeply about the implications of my faith on my life? And what I mean by that is, does my life reflect what I say I believe? It's very, very important. And you're going to see why here as we dive into this. If we say that we are believers, then there is a passion and a focus that we are to live out in our lives. A passion for the gospel and a focus on accomplishing its mission. So through these two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, Paul teaches us a couple of things that are really important. The first point today is that Timothy shows us that Christ's mission always puts others first. Christ's mission always puts others first. Verse 19, again, listen to this. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. Now listen to what he says about Timothy. This is important. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ, but you know his proven character. He's speaking about Timothy there. Because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. 
Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. So, we, I think we would all agree that, that we hope that we are living lives that make eternal investment. And the truth here that we see in this passage and in the verses before this is that internal investment leads us to put others first because of the gospel. We have to put others first because of the gospel. It's not just about meeting their temporal needs, although that's important. It's primarily about pointing them to the one who can meet their eternal spiritual need. So to kind of give an example of all this and to paint the picture, Paul gives us three characteristics of Timothy that I think we can take and we can apply to our lives. Uh, it's not easy, but we can do that. And we can live lives that make eternal impact. First thing that Paul points out about Timothy is that he genuinely cared for their interests. Timothy genuinely cared for their interests. Now, it does not come natural for us to think of other people first, right? Every decision that we make, whether it be where are we going to eat for lunch? What's the first thing you think of? Where are we going to eat? Are you thinking, well, I wonder what my, the person next to me wants? No. You're thinking, what sounds good to me, right? Every decision that we make is usually about us first. But here's the thing. We can choose to put others' interests first. Timothy was with Paul and Silas when they planted the church of Philippi. And that's very important when you're talking about how do we learn to put others' interests first. Here's the thing. He was with them. So he was with those people. He invested in their lives. He was there. He knew what was going on. He knew them. So for us here at the fellowship, how, what's, a, what's a pathway that we have for you that will help you get to a place where you can put others' interests first? It's life groups. That's it. It's hard to walk in here on a Sunday morning to be seated on this side of the room to look over and see a buddy that maybe you saw last Sunday. Just wave at him from a distance. How you doing? Do you know him? Probably not. So life groups, they're an important path for us because when you get in a life group, you start to get to know people and you start to get to know what their interests are. And the vice versa is true. They start to get to know you, what your interests are. So how can we get to a place where we're willing to put others' interests first? Well, here at the church, life groups is the way. So I want to encourage you this morning. If you're not involved in a life group, you should do that. It's there for a reason. We need each other. We need each other. Second thing that Paul points out um, about Timothy. He genuinely cared for their interests. And then the second thing is he valued the things of Jesus Christ when relating to others. Paul says there in verse 21, it's a contrast to what Timothy's doing. He says, all seek their own interest and not those of Jesus Christ. So what are the interests of Jesus Christ? Well, if we're genuinely concerned with what matters to Jesus, then we will be concerned for others. We don't have a choice. We can't be self-interested. The mission Jesus gives us is to humble ourselves to the point that we serve and give ourselves to others. Again, simple concept, but very, very hard to live out. So Timothy genuinely cared for their interests. He valued the things of Jesus Christ when relating to others. And then the third thing that Paul points out about Timothy, and this is this important. We're going to camp out here for a second. He had proven character. He had proven character. You see, Timothy had been 
refined by fire through his work in gospel ministry and his character had been developed over time and experience. And this might be the most important thing I say all day. His character gave him the platform to have a powerful ministry for Jesus. Now, when we talk about that, we got to realize that that's probably true for us as well. Our character matters. And I love the way that Matthew 20, verse 25 to 28, paints the picture of what it looks like to have godly character. It says this, Jesus called them over and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So I want to talk about character for a minute, and, and we just heard a, a great picture of what it looks like to have godly character, but here's the thing. Character follows you everywhere. Would you agree with that? Everything good that I've done in my life, somebody somewhere knows about it. <laughs> now, here's, here's, the, here's the bad news. Everything bad I've done in my life, somebody somewhere knows about it. And all of that builds my character. Now, obviously, you should know that if, if you've done some bad stuff in your life, the great news is all of us have. And we can be covered by the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. But the reality is, is that character sticks with us. And even from a worldly standpoint, take, take all these spiritual things and the scriptures here out of it for just a second. Even from a worldly standpoint, character is important. One of the guys that I like to read is John Maxwell. He's a leadership guru who is a former pastor. But he had two quotes as I was kind of getting background information for this message today that I thought were pretty powerful. So listen to this. Character doesn't make a leader, but it can certainly disqualify one. We've all seen a situation where somebody has been disqualified because of their character, right? Second quote from Maxwell. Talent or ability can take you to the top. But character can keep you there. Now, if you're like me, I read those quotes, I go, yeah, man, that's really cool. I like those quotes. What's a real-life example? Well, we've seen it this week. If you're a sports fan, you know that there is a wide receiver in the NFL by the name of Antonio Brown, right? Heard of him. He's been hard not to hear about Antonio Brown for the past couple months. He played for the Pittsburgh Steelers last year. And here's the thing. Antonio was not a high draft pick. He was a lower draft pick, but he worked super hard and he's crazy talented. And he is one of, if not the best, receivers in the NFL. Last year he played for the Pittsburgh Steelers. And middle of the season, towards the end, you started hearing rumblings and grumblings about issues going on between him and management. And let me just state right here. The NFL may not be the one we want to hold up about how much they worry about character, right? Okay? <laughs> I know that. I understand it. Stick with me for a second, okay? <laughs> Pittsburgh Steelers start hearing about it and then quits on his team. So much so that the Steelers decide, you know what, we don't want to deal with him anymore. We don't care about his talent. We're going to send him to the Oakland Raiders. And so they do. They trade him. He signs a new deal with the Oakland Raiders, something like $30 million guaranteed. Man, wouldn't you like to have the opportunity to have a guaranteed $30 million contract? I would, it's not going to happen, but I, I would like that. But why did I say that? Well, 
apparently it didn't matter that much to Antonio. Why? Well, you start hearing immediately, before he's ever played a game with the Raiders, you hear things that happen. Apparently there was an incident with a cryogenic chamber, which I've never been in one, don't know what it is, but I don't want to be cold, so I'm not getting in one, right? He forgot to put socks on, frostbite on his feet. Can't get on the field with his new team. As you can imagine, this irritates the management of the Oakland Raiders. And then past that, there's this whole helmet issue maybe you've heard about. NFL and the NFL Players Association have been working for years to find the safest helmet possible for their players. But Antonio wanted to wear his favorite helmet, which was 10 years old. And it didn't pass any of the safety tests for the league or the Players Association. So even though they were looking out for his own best interest, Antonio came out a couple months ago, maybe a month and a half. And he said, I'm not going to play if I don't get to wear my helmet. This caused some issues, again, with management. They're slightly perturbed at their $30 million investment. It's actually a bigger contract than that. That was just the guarantee. So all of that, and there's more, but we won't go there today. All of that leads to the Saturday before the season starts, the Oakland Raiders, you know what they do? Cut it. So in the NFL, where character may not be the most important thing to all of those teams, two teams in less than a year decide that that dude's not worth dealing with on their team. Enter the evil empire. <laughs> the New England Patriots. I wish they were like my beloved Dallas Cowboys who obviously care about character in their <laughs> mid-90s Super Bowls. Right? Glad you're laughing. Um, they sign him, right? They sign him and he might play today for him. But immediately after signing them, more allegations come up that are just troublesome. We don't know if they're true or not. But it's just troublesome. So why do I tell you all this? Well, here's the thing. The best organizations in the world care about character, competence, and what I will call culture. What that means is, is this person that we're wanting to hire, is he going to come in and be a part of our team? Is he going to be able to fit in with our team? So if, if organizations in the world care about that, and if we've seen this guy who has all the talent in the world get cut from two teams, we see that character matters even to them. Well, how much more important is it for us as followers of Jesus to live lives of character? So let me ask you this question, and this is a, it's one of those that I've been asking myself, and it's a, it's a hard question. Does your character allow you to have gospel influence? Does your character allow you to have gospel influence? See, Timothy's did, and that's why Paul points it out. It's a great question for us to ponder on here this morning. So genuinely caring for others' interests is not just about helping other people with their problems, though that's important, but it's about advancing the gospel and sharing the truth with them, and that only happens when we put others' interests first. So that's Timothy. That's the first part of our passage this morning. Let's look at Epaphroditus. And through Epaphroditus' life, we see that Christ's mission is not about our own well-being. That's our second point today. Christ's mission is not about our own well-being. Verse 25, chapter 2 says, I considered it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have 
sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I'm very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him, and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. We see a clear focus on the eternal state of things versus Epaphroditus' temporal discomfort. So it's hard to be focused on the eternal state of things. That's a really difficult place for us to be. It's not natural. We want to be comfortable, right? We like our own well-being. We like to be well, right? We want to be comfortable. We even like to be content. But I want you to hear this today. It is a false gospel to believe that if I do what God asked me to do, then God should make things easy for me. I'm going to read that one more time. It is a false gospel to believe that if I do what God asked me to do, then God should make things easy for me. There's no more God, you owe me mentality, or maybe you've heard it, hey, if I do this, God, will you do this? You've heard us sing the song Bigger Than I Thought recently, and it, and it has a great line. It says, I stop all negotiations with the God of all creation. Man, that's laying my own well-being down. Epaphroditus takes on personal risk to care for others, and in this case, it's specifically Paul. He was sent to Paul for a very specific purpose, and he took on personal risk. I love what Paul says about him. He calls him a brother. They were united in faith. He calls him a co-worker. They were co-laborers for the gospel. And then Paul calls him a, fo- a fellow soldier. They'd been through a lot of trials together. And then the last thing Paul calls him is your messenger, speaking to the Philippians. Because, in fact, Epaphroditus had been sent to minister to Paul in his time of need. He was sent there to be a helper to Paul. And now we're at a place where Paul's going to send him back to Philippi in the middle of his recovery. So in the midst of his sickness, he was willing to fight through it during his recovery to return to the church at Philippi. See, here's the thing. God didn't have to heal him. He didn't. But he chose to. And both Paul and Epaphroditus had this mindset of their own well-being is at risk to carry out the gospel, to carry out the mission of Christ. And I love what Paul says, it was, it was mercy that healed Epaphroditus. So many times we feel like God's got to relieve us from all the things that are troubling us to prove that he's faithful. That's not true. We simply don't appreciate the daily mercies that God grants each of us. I want to, I want to stop here for just a second because there's, there's a really interesting um, verse here. It's important to note that Paul does not negate sorrow in his life. Instead, he acknowledges it. Verse 27 there says, So I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Paul's in a rough spot. He needs help. He needs Epaphroditus. That's why Epaphroditus is sent to him. He's already going through some stuff. And then Paul says, I'm thankful that God healed Epaphroditus so that I wouldn't have sorrow upon sorrow. More trouble. So they both acknowledge that sorrow is real. And here's what I want us to know this morning. It's not realistic or expected for us to act as if trouble isn't happening happening around us. It's not realistic. Sorrow is real. There are tough things that happen in our lives on a regular basis. 
Listen to this, and this is another point for us today. It's very important to acknowledge this truth that sorrow is real. Just this week, um, I know of three situations of people that were dealing with sorrow and depression in their life, and they chose to end their life. One of them was a pastor at a church in California. And it was a hard thing because he was an advocate for that exact thing. But he lost that battle. So here's what I want to say this morning. Sorrow is real. Depression is real. And I'm going to stand on the stage, and I promise you Scott would agree with this. I promise you Sam would agree with this. This is a safe place. If there's sorrow that's overwhelming you, if there's depression that's overwhelming you, if you're thinking about hurting yourself, don't leave here today without talking to me, to Scott, anybody in this room. I'm going to tell you. And ministry partners at the fellowship, you'll affirm me with this. This is a safe place, right? They can come talk to us, right? It's okay. We want to help them. We need each other. I'm thankful that Paul acknowledges that sorrow is real. But here's the thing. We can acknowledge it, and then we can take the attitude that we find in 1 Thessalonians 4, where it says, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. So is it real? Yes. Can Jesus help us with it? Yes, he can. It is possible to have a hopeful sorrow through Jesus Christ. I love that. It's possible to have a hopeful sorrow through Jesus Christ. So if that's you today, don't leave here without talking to somebody, all right? Epaphroditus risked his life for the sake of Christ. In fact, he even thought he'd failed because of his illness. I love what Paul says in the end of this passage. He instructs the church of Philippi to welcome Epaphroditus and hold people like him in honor. That's what it says. We have to recognize that when you put others' interests first, and in Epaphroditus' case, when you put your own well-being at risk for the sake of the gospel, it's okay for us to honor people that are doing that as well. So I love that Paul says that to us. So here's the thing. He was able to put his own well-being at risk because of the work of Christ, which is, again, not a natural thing for us. But what is the work of Christ? Well, it's how we serve others. So do we risk everything, our own well-being, for the work of Christ? So we've seen today through two guys, Timothy and Epaphroditus, put others' interests first, put my own well-being at risk. If we say we are believers, then there is a mission to accomplish and a passion to develop, to live a life of humility and sacrifice, modeled by the life of Jesus We are to put others' interests above our own and understand that the mission of Jesus is not about our own well-being. We've got to be willing to do what others will not do for the work of Christ. Got to be willing to do it. And now listen to this. This one's important too. We must be willing to send others to do something that we may not be able to do ourselves. That's what Paul modeled right here. He's sending two guys something he couldn't do himself, right? So what does that mean? Well, that means we should engage in what I'll just call spiritual delegation. Simply put, can I identify what God's gifted me to do? Can I identify what God might have gifted somebody that I am deeply invested in? Maybe he's gifted them to do something I can't do. And can I encourage them to do that for the sake of the gospel? So many times, if selfishness creeps in, then we want credit, right? We want credit for, well, I've done what God's called me to do, and look at all the fruit. You know, that's what we want a lot of times. Sometimes God asks us to be 
right in the middle and just encourage someone else to do what they have been called to do, what they've been gifted to do. That's very important to us. So the bottom line is that we cannot live our lives of humility and sacrifice unless we're in right relationship with God. So if my vertical relationship with God is right, then my horizontal relationship with others should reflect a gospel focus. And listen to this. Gospel-focused and, and selfishness cannot coexist. gospel focus and selfishness cannot coexist. So, some action points today, all right? I want to ask our band to come on back up as we get ready to respond via song and prayer. But some action points to ask yourself today. Does your character allow you to be sent out by God to do His work? Where is your character? Or is your character a hindrance to the work of the gospel? When was the last time you shared your faith with someone? You want to know what, a, what tangible evidence is of somebody who is putting others' interests first and also risking their, risking their own well-being? Sharing their faith. Tell them what, telling others what God has done for them. When was the last time that you did that? Do you put others' interests ahead of yours? Are you more concerned with your own well-being or carrying out the work of the gospel? Now, again, I want you to hear me say, I know these are not easy things. But those questions can give us a peek into our own hearts and minds as to where we are today. And if it's in a place that we need to move forward closer to God, the good news is, is that we can do that today. So I want to invite you to bow your heads for just a second. We're getting ready to respond both through song and through movement in the room this altar is always open. Maybe for you today it is a, it's a character issue, character question. Maybe you need to deal with that. This altar is open. You can come forward and you can write prayer requests and place them on the cross. Maybe you need to pray that you will be more interested in others' interests than your own. Maybe you realize that you've never put your own well-being at risk for the sake of the gospel. Well, today you can choose to do that. So whatever it is that you need to respond to what God said to you today, I want to ask you to do that. We're going to pray, then we're going to stand and sing. Let's pray together. God, we say thank you for your word. We thank you for the chance to open it. God, I thank you for a passage that kind of on its face looks obscure and like there might not be a lot there for us. But God, I pray that you would help us to put others' interests first. Would you help us to have character that allows us to have a platform for gospel ministry? Would you help us to put our own well-being at risk for the sake of Jesus? So God, we're thankful for how you are speaking. We ask that you would help us to respond to what you said to us now in Jesus' name. Amen.